continue our, our walk through the book of Nehemiah today. As we pick it up in chapter 3, we've been, we've been walking with Nehemiah through this journey as God has placed a vision into his heart for what he wants to do. From, from chapter 1, where Nehemiah heard of the state of Jerusalem, that the people are living in shame, that the walls are broken down, the, burnt, the gates burned with fire, that everything is, is in tumult and disrepair, and, and it breaks his heart. And we see that God using that to put this vision into his heart. One that as Nehemiah waited and prayed and prepared for, God was doing his work in Nehemiah but also in the king and, and in all those with whom he would come in contact. So that as Nehemiah in chapter 2 is able to present this plan to the king, to, to reveal his vision to the king, the king gives him his blessing and he goes. And so last week we saw as Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem, finally makes it there and, and checks things out and sees Everything is just as he's heard. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. The people are, are just in a mess. To where eventually he invites the people to action. He shows them. He says, you see the way things are here. You see the trouble that we're in. And he presents this problem. And he says, we've got to build up these walls for God's sake. For the honor and glory of God, we need to do this thing. And the people respond and they say, yes. Let's rise up. Let's build these walls. And so as we come to chapter 3, we are getting to this point now where the work has begun. The people are diving in. They're, they're getting their hands dirty here. Now, if you've looked ahead at chapter 3, it's, dare I say it like this, it's not an exciting account of the work that's happening. In fact, as you look at it, can we mute this, turn that down? It, it actually reads more like something at the very end of movie credits. Just special thanks to all these people. And, and when that comes up in the, in the movie credits, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't read those. Most people aren't even in the theater when that stuff happens. Or, or like the opening pages of a book, the, the acknowledgments that come even before the introduction of the book. Well, I want to thank all these people. And, and most of us just skip right over that. And yet, chapter 3 reads a lot like that. And so what do we do with that? Because all throughout scriptures, we get these different places where, where we run into just lists of names. If you've, if you've done, tried one of those read through the Bible in a year programs, you, you know, we come into, into Genesis and we get the generations and this person had this son and so on and so forth. In Chronicles, there's, there's the census and we get name after name after name and tribes and tribes and tribes. And chapter three of Nehemiah, actually there are several chapters in Nehemiah that kind of look like that. And, and it's easy to get stuck in there and wonder what's even going on here? But I wonder if we believe the memory verse that, that we learn in, in Awana and Kids for Christ. That all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is God-breathed, is inspired by God, and is useful. 
Because if all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training up in righteousness, if it's true that God doesn't waste his words as we see them here in scripture, then we come to Nehemiah chapter 3 and we come to a whole bunch of names and it's important. So, with this conviction that God doesn't waste his words, that all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's useful, let's dive into chapter 3 and see what God is doing here. And I will attempt to read a whole bunch of names here. Nehemiah chapter 3 starts out, Then Eliashev, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Meremoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakuz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joadah, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodeah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, their Maranothite, the men of Gibeah and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, the goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumaf, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashab, Hashavneah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Harim, and Hashuv, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beit Hakerem, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kol Hose, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it, covered it, and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of the half the district of Bedzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half-district of Kela, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavai, the son of Henadad, ruler of half-district of Kela. 
Next to him, Ezer, the son of Yeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory of the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elisha, the high priest. After him, Meremoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakuz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashiv to the end of the house of Eliashiv. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashuv repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired after another section, from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower, projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living in Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the, son of, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. That's a whole lot of stuff there, right? A whole lot of names. Names that, uh, you know, some of us have probably never heard before. Ones that certainly we don't hear very often. So what do we see as we start walking through this? What do we see as we look at this account? Because I believe, and I hope you believe, that it's not in here by accident. That it's not in here just to be a list of names. So what's, what's going on here? At one point we, we see that this is an incredible act of organization and leadership on Nehemiah's part. He's been given this vision, right? He's been given this, this holy desire to see the city of God built up. To see the people of God built up. And, and this has been burning in him. And, and he's been visionary in this. But now as he comes to the work, we also see him putting order and leadership to this. As, as he rallies a bunch of people. A lot of names we have here. And work begins on the wall. They start building it up. But another key thing that we see is we run through a whole list of names is every one of those people that we read their name. Every one of those places that, that it said they built this tower, they built that tower, they built this section of wall, every one of them were all marching toward a single common goal. They were united around that purpose. As Nehemiah comes and says the way things are happening, it's not right. 
is not honoring to God. And there is more, there is better, and we need to be about that. And all these different people from all these different places, they came together in unity to follow that. And we just, before we, we came here to Nehemiah, we were in 2 Corinthians. And our men's Bible study has just started in 2 Corinthians. But, but you'll remember maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts. Where he says there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. As Paul goes along in, in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12 there, he starts talking about the body. There is one body, though there's many parts. And we see that in action here. We see that body coming together, everybody united behind a, a common purpose. In order to do that, each one has to maybe set aside uh, some of their own selfishness. They have to set aside what, what maybe they had planned to do for, for the next however long it's going to take because the wall needs to be built. This thing needs to happen. And so these people gather. And we see that unity that, that God calls us to, that unity that He calls us to that reflects even His own character as, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three, three distinct persons are perfectly united as one God. And so he calls his people to be united as well. But we also see that even in that unity, even as the people are gathered together, the unity is not uniformity. There's unity, but not uniformity. Everybody that is working is not the same. As Paul said, there are many gifts, but one giver. And Paul, I think, would look back at, at what Nehemiah is doing here and see that in action. To see that he's calling all of these different people together, people from various backgrounds, people with various gifts, that as they're united, they're not just becoming the same person. There's a diversity in those who are working, and that is also by design. So let's think about that. Who is it that's working? Kind of walk through this, this chapter, looking at who is doing it, how is this being done, and, and why, ultimately. So who do we have working? Clearly, we have a list of names. We saw lots and lots of names there. And they're all coming together. They're all, they're all working together. And you see in that unity and that togetherness and in, in what they're doing that, that they're coming from many different places. They're coming from many different backgrounds. They're coming probably from many uh, socioeconomic states. Some of these are probably very rich. In fact, there, there are several times in there that we see somebody mention it says they're ruler of a half district of Jerusalem. They're the ruler of Mizpah. They're the ruler of all these different places. And we see them coming together. And we don't see them jostling for position. We don't see them coming together and trying to, to, to flex and, and be more important than the next guy. 
You know, we don't see them coming together and trying to say, well, this gate's the most important, so that's where I'm going to be because I am the most important. We don't see that kind of stuff because that breaks down the very foundation of what unity is. That sort of, of positioning and trying to be more important than the next guy is going to ruin the whole thing. So we see them all working together, or at least almost all of them working together. There was one notable exception there in verse 5. Did you hear it in the midst of all that? Where the Tekoites repaired, but the next part of that says, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. It's interesting to me, that, that just quick line in there. Their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, Lord in that case simply means master. We're not necessarily talking about God there. In, in the Old Testament, in your Bible, you might see places where Lord is spelled out all in capital letters. And that's the name of God. And then Lord can be lowercase letters or this one, an uppercase followed by lowercase. And that is just simply the Hebrew word for master. So it may not be saying that, that these nobles said, we're not going to serve God, but they might be ones that came in and said, well, who's this Nehemiah guy? I mean, we, we've been here for a while. We've been working on things around here, and, and we kind of have our thing going. Now, this guy comes in from, from the Persian Empire, and he wants to tell us to do? No, no, no. I I'm, I'm, can't follow him. We don't know who they are. <laughs> in, in a chapter that's full of names, we don't know who these guys are. They're just these nobles who couldn't get behind the work that was there to do. They're these nobles who apparently thought they were too noble to stoop, to serve, or, or some might might say put their neck out the the way the the phrase is there is, is kind of to, to put their shoulder to this work they they couldn't get down with that and there are going to be some in any in any vision that we have right anything that that we see that that we see an injustice and we say this can't be the way things are or we see something, something that could be great, and we say this, I, I think God is calling us in this way. And in any of those, there's always going to be some people there who are like, and who do you think you are? No, no, we've, we're not going to do that. We like the wall the way it is. Don't let that dissuade you from the vision that God's put in your heart. Sometimes those voices seem to be the loudest voices. They seem to be the only voices we hear. And, and I think this is a great example where in, in a chapter full of all these different people that are rallying behind and, and doing this vision that, that God has put in Nehemiah's heart, there's this one little line that says there are some that don't. And what if Nehemiah just heard those voices and just gave up?
That can't be us because God is doing something bigger. He's doing something bigger in building this wall here and he has something bigger in store for you. For this church family. So yeah, we see these people coming together from all different kinds of places. And as we think about the, the differences of who's there, look at the different professions that we saw in there. There were, there were only a few of the professions that were listed. We, we already mentioned some were rulers. It started out the whole chapter with Elisha, the high priest, who rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. These, these men who were responsible for the, the spiritual well-being of the people were the first ones listed as, as they came on and said, yes, we're going to do this thing. We're going to jump behind this. We see God at work in this. And they started building. And as we go through and as we read different ones, we, we see the Levites coming in, the people that, that work about the temple. We see others, the, the temple workers who live in Ophel, a, different, a little part of Jerusalem there. And we see all these different ones. We see perfumers. We saw a couple of different places where it talked about the perfumers who were working. It talked about the goldsmiths. The whole chapter ended with goldsmiths and merchants filling out that last section of wall. Who don't you see listed? Well, a lot of people we don't see. But I don't see anywhere here where it says the bricklayers, the builders, the stone cutters. I'm sure some of these people were. And yet, this chapter doesn't point them out. And we see a whole group of people coming together, people who, who work in perfume and goldsmithing and all these different kinds of things, and they're coming together. They're leaving what they normally do to, to pursue this vision for this time because this is important. And it's too important for them to say, you know what, let's just leave it to the professionals. There's somebody that we pay to do that. Let's let them work on the wall. Everybody comes together behind this. We see these names, some of whom are probably representing families, ahead of a family, as all the family gathers around them. Some of these might be representing, as we, as we look at sons of goldsmiths, it might be a, a trade organization, this group, almost a union, that's gathered together, and they all come together and they do this, but, but nobody is sitting back and saying, well, that's... That's not my job. I, I work in perfume. Or, or I, I work in the temple. I, I don't do wall building. They're coming together. Not trying to pass it off. Not trying to save it for somebody else. These people are gathered together and they begin the work of building the wall. And so how is this work done? As we go through this, we, we already said before that this is, this is an organizational and leadership clinic, maybe. I don't know. As, as Nehemiah gets all these different people together and we see an orderly approach to the whole thing. We see a, a systematic approach. You, you might find uh, different pictures of what 
the area looked like at the time. This is one that came out of ESV Study Bible. You can probably even look that up online and find this exact picture. Now granted, this picture was, was drawn based on some archeological evidence that's been found, but also what we see in scripture. So if you come and you see the sheep gate right up next to the temple, and the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel, and, and you work your way all around, you go through the whole chapter and you see just bit by bit as they work around the wall, as every piece is covered. Like I said, some of that is, is probably because they're reading it from this, but we also see in different chapters here those same things listed as, as Nehemiah made sure that everything was covered, everything was, was cared for. And guys, that doesn't just happen. It comes because he spent four months praying about this and preparing for it. It's because when he came to Jerusalem, he, he looked at what was there and he saw how this was going. And as he called the people to action, as he invited them to do something, it wasn't just, ah, you know, go find a spot. But he made sure that everything was taken care of. And, and all too often, we, maybe I should just speak for myself, I can be a little too careless with the vision that God plants in, in my heart. There's a difference between trusting God's sovereignty to act on, on our behalf and, and to make his plan prosper. And on the other side of it, just kind of going... You know, if God wants it done, it'll get done. Nehemiah was careful with this. He made sure it was all covered. He walked through. And, and one of the other things he did as he's walking people through and making sure everything is done is many of those, as we got later in the chapter especially, around to that western wall, it talked again and again and again about how these people built next to their home, opposite their home by their own home. Nehemiah had the wisdom to, to not only say, this is important and we need to get this done, but to bring it right home. This is important to you. This wall is important to you because it's right outside your door. You know, it's as we look at, at God's plan and we start looking at what's happening right in your school that, that brings it close to home. What God is doing right in your neighborhood and how we can join that. And we see the people joining God in the work that He's doing right there at home. And finally, they worked until the task is done. Again, several times in there, you, you read a name and you say, and they did another section. The Tekoites, who, who we saw with the nobles who weren't going to do it, they show up again later on, working on another section. Why? Because the job wasn't done yet. And then we see, as the people are working, that they're not just getting their spot done and then kick him back with lemonade to watch everybody else to say, okay, I did my part, now what about you? 
That comes back to that unity. That comes back to thinking of myself as more important than others. I've done my part. Now you do yours. This was hard work. There's no doubt about it. As all these people came together, as they worked systematically, as they worked hard to build up this wall, why? Why would they do all that? After all, they've looked at this wall for years and years and years and it's been down. Why now? For their own fame and glory? So they can have their 15 minutes so that they can tell their grandkids and their great-grandkids, I had my name in a chapter of the Bible. Right? No. That wouldn't be it. And, and what is fame anyway? I mean, we, we all have kind of those lists. Oh, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to talk to. And we just think of, of who that's going to be. Which, which of us have ever looked and said, oh, man, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to see Hanun, the sixth son of Zaleph. Boy, do I have questions for that guy. It's, it's not about them being famous. Because what's fame anyway? Who's famous in heaven? Doesn't the gospel say we're all broken? And it's all about Jesus? So Hanun, the sixth son of Zaleph, or Moses, or David, or you or me, in heaven, we're all looking to Jesus. We're, we're amazed by the splendor of God, and, and each one of us is equally grateful to Him for what He's done. No, it's not about their fame and their fortune. It's not even about their protection, ultimately. As these people are making strong this wall, which that's what the word for repaired is, that repeats throughout there. It's making strong the wall. As these people are working hard at making strong the wall, as they're coming together in this godly vision, God is at work in them. He is doing something to strengthen them, and we're going to see that in the chapters that follow. That this wall is getting built, and that's an incredible thing, but while that's happening, God is doing something in the people. As they gather around His vision, He's working in them. What's the vision you have? I ask again, what is that thing that, that breaks your heart for the things of God? As we pray through it, as, as we prepare for it, as we plan for it, as we even get to the point, Lord willing, of getting our hands dirty and getting in there and doing something with it. Let's give ourselves to that godly vision to make disciples of all nations, of everybody around us. God, I thank you. I thank you for the account that we can get from Nehemiah. I thank you for 
his clarity and his order as he was careful to write down all these things. God, I thank you for the work that you did through him for your people. I thank you for the example that we have as we look at it. And God, I pray that as we do, this would not just be an educational thing for us to look and to marvel at this wall being built. But God, you work in us. Show us, Lord, where our walls are crumbled. Break our hearts for the way we see the pain and the struggle of those around us. And God, we beg you to open our eyes. To give us a vision to see your glory instead of the crumbled walls. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, will you come forward, please, to serve communion? We can talk about walls and building them up and see what God is doing in Jerusalem, but without the sacrifice of Jesus, there's there's no city, as it were, to guard with the walls. As we come to the table, as we prepare here, we're reminded that a question of fame is it's no question. We're all broken. We all need Jesus, and we have life only through him. That's what we remind ourselves of as we come to the table. Randy, would you pray, please?